Hello, Campus Cronies. Welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Dr. Nicole Turner, higher education professional and true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This episode is rated a five. During homecoming weekend in the fall of 2007, Rowan University student Donald Farrell III was beaten to death by at least two men in a well-lit convenience store parking lot. It was a chance encounter, and police believe the motive was robbery. But to this day, despite a clear image and description of one of the suspects, despite a rare limited edition jacket, despite a phone number written on an old lottery ticket, and despite a massive $100,000 reward, Donnie's killers have never been caught. Which means you might have information that could help solve this 17-year-old cold case. This episode is titled, Robbery Leads to Homicide. So without further ado, let's get started. who more commonly went by Donnie, was born on January 20th, 1988, to his parents, Donald Farrell II and Kathy Farrell. Donnie was raised in Staten Island, New York, before his family moved to Booton Township in Morris County, New Jersey, in 1995. He was the second oldest of four siblings, having one older sister and two younger siblings, another sister and one brother. Donnie attended Mountain Lakes High School, where he shined with his natural abilities as an athlete. He was a member of both the high school baseball and lacrosse teams. After graduating in the spring of 2006, Donnie went on to attend Rowan University in Glassboro, New Jersey. There, he majored in business and earned excellent grades, which landed Donnie on the dean's list. During his freshman year at Rowan, Donnie also became a founding member of the new men's lacrosse team. So, by the spring of 2007, toward the end of his freshman year, -year 19-year-old Donnie was thriving and truly enjoying the college life. He lived off-campus in an apartment with at least two other roommates. And by now, he had met some great friends, he was making good grades, and he was playing sports. What more could he ask for? But in April of 2007, just before the spring semester would come to a close, Donnie ran into some trouble after attending a house party with some buddies. According to an article in the Daily Record, Donnie and four other Rowan students got into a dispute and tensions rose when they took it outside. Allegedly, while one of the students held Donnie by the neck, another student punched him in the face, ultimately breaking Donnie's jaw in two places and smashing three of his teeth. The beating was so bad that his jaw had to be wired shut while it healed. 
Now, I have no idea like what sparked it or any other context. All I know are the facts of what happened afterward. So after the incident, Donnie pressed charges against the four students who allegedly instigated the fight, all of whom were upperclassmen and older than Donnie. This included 21-year-old Colin Donovan, 22-year-old David A. Stahl, 21-year-old Thomas M. Capo, and 21-year-old David Monk. According to the Daily Record, Donovan, Capo, and Monk were all charged with aggravated assault, while Stahl was charged with conspiracy to commit aggravated assault. During a disciplinary hearing at the university in September 2007, Donnie couldn't identify the student who hit him or the student who held his neck. But during the hearing, Donovan stood up and admitted to punching Donnie. Essentially, Donovan took the fall for all four of them. So the hearing board found Donovan responsible for, quote unquote, conduct which threatens or endangers the health or safety of another person. As a result, Donovan was suspended until the spring 2009 semester, and he was placed on disciplinary probation for the remainder of his academic career. Regarding the other three students, the board took no action against them and dismissed their disciplinary case. Now, Regarding the legal system, the prosecutor's office dropped the charges against Monk, the one who was charged with the conspiracy to commit, and presented the case against the other three to a grand jury in December of 2007. But the grand jury declined to indict and recommended that the charges against Donovan be remanded to the Glassboro Municipal Court. The thing is, though, after Donnie took that beating in the spring of 2007, Donnie's parents begged him not to return to Rowan University that fall. Instead, they encouraged him to transfer schools because they feared for his safety and well-being. But after Donnie discussed it with one of his good friends and roommates, Kevin Balderman, Donnie felt too connected to Rowan to leave. Kevin explained, quote, He liked it at Rowan despite that incident. He had become really close with a lot of us, so he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to have to go to a different school and have to start all over again. End quote. Ultimately, though, that decision would cost Donnie his life. That brings us to homecoming weekend in October of 2007, when Rowan University played Montclair State in football, and the normally 10,000 student campus was filled with hundreds, possibly thousands, of additional visitors from all over the New York and New Jersey metros. They were in town for all the different homecoming festivities. After the football game on Saturday, October 27th, at around 9.15 p.m., Donnie, his girlfriend, and three of his other friends left a party at the Bow Rivage apartment complex, which is where Donnie lived with his roommates. As they were walking to another party at a different apartment complex, the group stopped at the Express Mart, a local convenience store on Route 322. Though the convenience store was not on campus, it sat near the triad dormitories toward the outside edge of campus in a well-lit, well-traveled area. But as Donnie and his friends were walking through the parking lot, a group of four or five men, all strangers to Donnie's group, approached and asked Donnie specifically if he knew where any good parties were that night. According to the reporting of Meg Hulesman for the Courier-Post, Before he could respond and point toward the Bow Rivage apartments, where they had just come from, one of the men suddenly struck him in the head, knocking him to the ground. The man then kicked Donnie in the stomach, as a different man in the group joined in and also kicked Donnie. They then took Donnie's wallet and cell phone and ran toward a dark-colored car before driving off and fleeing the scene. 
According to the Courier Post, EMS arrived within two minutes, 90 seconds to be exact, and they found Donnie lying on the ground, unconscious and bleeding profusely from the blows. He was then rushed by ambulance to the Cooper University Hospital in nearby Camden, New Jersey. Unfortunately, though, Donnie succumbed to his injuries and died the next day on October 28th. The official cause of death was a ruptured blood vessel in his neck. According to an article for NJ.com, NewJersey.com, Donnie spent his last hours on life support so his family could donate his liver and kidneys. Okay, I know, that was a lot of devastating information I just threw at you in a very short amount of time. Like, I know it seemed like it escalated quickly, but it happened very quickly. But I want to address a question that I'm sure all of you have right now. And the answer is no, the men who robbed and ultimately killed Donnie were not the same men that Donnie had been in an altercation with the previous spring. It was a completely different group of individuals, a group that nobody in Donnie's circle of friends knew at all. So it was a random attack where, unfortunately, Donnie seemed to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Donnie's roommate, Kevin Balderman, was not in town when Donnie was killed. He had left campus and had gone home for the weekend. However, he remembered the phone call he received from their third roommate, informing him about Donnie. Kevin said, quote, He told me what happened and that Donnie wasn't doing well. Then he called me an hour or two later and told me that he passed away. It was pretty devastating to hear that out of nowhere. He was just the kind of guy that loved life. He was one of the sweetest, most caring guys I've ever met. End quote. Investigators immediately got to work trying to identify the group of men, and it seemed like they had some pretty good evidence that could point them in the right direction. For starters, Donnie's friends were able to provide a description of the men who attacked Donnie. All of them appeared to be either black or Hispanic, and they were in their late teens or early 20s. Plus, their description of one of the suspects matched a man who was seen in the store surveillance camera footage just minutes before the attack occurred. This man, who quickly became investigators' primary suspect, was described as either black or Hispanic, with a medium complexion and rounded facial features. He had braided hair or locks, a thin mustache, and a light goatee. He was approximately 20 to 24 years of age and stood about 5 feet 7 inches tall. He was wearing blue jeans, a blue New York Yankees ball cap, and a red and gray Coogee Heritage hoodie with an Australian crest. In the surveillance footage, the suspect can be seen, clear as day, purchasing some cigars and paying the store clerk. So investigators used a still image of the man from the surveillance footage and posted it on a flyer that they hung up and distributed around both in the immediate vicinity and beyond into all the metro areas in the surrounding states. Now, as police were working around the clock to solve the case, students back on campus at Rowan University were not only devastated, but completely scared for their lives. I mean, one of their own was just randomly attacked and murdered, and the killer or killers were still out there. A few days after the crime, over a thousand students gathered in the Rowan University gymnasium to meet with the university president, Donald Farish, and express their concerns and growing fears about campus safety. According to an article in the Daily Record, Farish responded accordingly and announced 14 new proposed safety measures to be implemented on campus. This included better lighting throughout campus, hiring additional police officers, a proposed police escort service for students, as well as the possibility of launching a canine unit 
and installing security cameras, which I'm surprised that there weren't already security cameras on there. So I'm wondering if they just meant more, like installing additional ones. But I don't know. It just says installing security cameras. Anyway, a few days later, President Barish addressed the public in a critical op-ed he wrote for the Courier Post. In his article, he made some important statements. One in particular, I think speaks to the heart of exactly why I do this podcast, y'all. So I want to share that with you. He said, quote, Universities are generally seen as quiet and contemplative places, often in attractive and bucolic settings. Sylvan retreats from an otherwise hectic world. However, for all their beauty and remove, universities are not islands of safety and tranquility, somehow insulated from the world of violence in which we all live, but are interwoven into the very fabric of our society, end quote. So what he's trying to say here, and why I think it perfectly sums up the impetus of this podcast, is that universities, unfortunately, are not excluded from crime. Crime can happen anywhere, at any time. So it's important for us to bring awareness to that fact and to let others know how we can learn from each crime that happens. President Farish went on to say, quote, It was homecoming. He was with five other young people. Both campus and Glassboro police were out in force. There were other witnesses, and yet two individuals in a group of five young men decided to rob a student of what? How much money would a college student have in his possession? Why did they need to punch and kick him so brutally? What possesses a person to act so senselessly and callously toward a stranger with so little promise of reward? End quote. President Farish ended his article by informing the public that Rowan University had already begun making security changes, including increased security, but he reminded everyone that no campus can ever offer absolute guaranteed safety. Again, that's so important for all of us to remember. Okay, so moving on. Within a week of the crime, police had interviewed dozens of potential witnesses while they continued to follow multiple leads from tipsters. But identifying the individuals was proving far more difficult than investigators originally thought. The more people investigators spoke to, the more they realized that nobody knew who these young men were. So that led investigators to assume that the group must have been from out of town and, you know, they were just visiting for homecoming. By November 5th, 2007, a $50,000 reward was being offered in exchange for information leading to an arrest and conviction of the man or men responsible. But when that didn't get anyone to come forward with helpful information, the reward was doubled to $100,000 by December of 2007. Rowan University offered $75,000, and the remaining amount was donated by friends of the Farrell family, the Morris County Sheriff's Office, where Donnie was from, the Gloucester County Sheriff's Office, where Rowan University is located, and the Gloucester County Prosecutor's Office. According to the reporting of Peggy Wright for the Daily Record, the reward increase was announced at press conferences held in both Morris County and at Rowan University. Donnie's parents, along with the Gloucester County Prosecutor, Sean Dalton, appeared to ask for the public's help in solving the case. During the press conferences, Dalton said the attack was swift and that it appeared to be a purely random robbery. Dalton also called on the three other men who were with the two primary attackers to come forward because he said it was quite possible that they never even knew what was about to happen. Dalton said, quote, We're asking those three individuals to have a conscience, end quote. 
As investigators continued working on identifying the two primary suspects, Donnie's family and friends said their last goodbyes at his memorial service. Over a thousand people filled the St. Catherine of Siena Church beyond capacity, where Donnie was described as full of passion, someone who lived his short life to the fullest. He always gave 110% and always wore a smile on his face. During the funeral, one of Donnie's high school friends, Jesse Cohen, spoke. Jesse, who played baseball with Donnie, said, quote, Donnie was definitely one of the top leaders on the baseball team. He was always happy, always encouraging, end quote. Meanwhile, during the investigation, authorities discovered some critical pieces of information that sparked a glimmer of hope. First, they learned an interesting fact about the red and gray Kuji Heritage hoodie one of the perpetrators was wearing. It was a rare, limited edition style. According to an article by NJ.com, only 50, five zero, were made in that particular style. And it was sold in only 20 stores throughout the New York and New Jersey metro areas. Apparently, police went to every single store to try and track this guy down, but to no avail. All they got were dead ends. Apparently, they even purchased one of the hoodies so they could take it around to show people as they were investigating. But still, nothing seemed to yield any results. Then, investigators learned that the same suspect, the one seen in the store surveillance camera wearing that rare hoodie, actually wrote down his number on the back of an old lottery ticket that had been left on the store counter. And then he gave that number to a woman in the store in an attempt to woo her. But y'all, that too led them nowhere. Police tracked down the woman to whom he had given his number, and for the life of her, she had no idea what she did with it, but she was pretty sure she tossed it out somewhere along the way. Even after police meticulously combed through her trash and car and other areas where she might have discarded it, they found nothing. And I can only imagine how frustrating that was. I mean, if they only had that number, they would be able to track this guy down. So it seemed every piece of information they came across only led them to a dead end. Hell, they didn't even have an actual name to work with. The only thing they potentially had was a nickname. Sergeant Langdon Seals of the Gloucester County Prosecutor's Office said, quote, A witness told us one of the suspects either referred to himself as Smoke or was called Smoke by the others. He told one woman he was Smoke from AC, end quote. And AC was a reference to Atlantic City, they assumed, so police reached out and checked with authorities there, but that too led them nowhere. Still, authorities held on to hope, and they truly believed that the massive reward money would bring in solid leads. Prosecutor Sean Dalton said, quote, I firmly believe there are individuals with knowledge regarding this crime, and we're hopeful with the $100,000 reward out there, they'll do the right thing and contact our major crimes unit. The most important thing is to keep focusing on pushing on all fronts to try to resolve it because you never know what may happen to give you the break to solve the case, end quote. This hope grew even stronger when the TV show America's Most Wanted aired a two-minute segment on Donnie's case. However, as the months went by and nobody came forward, Donnie's case grew cold. Even police were perplexed that the large reward hadn't brought anyone forward with helpful identifying information, especially the people who were with the two primary suspects that night. Sergeant Sills explained, quote, 
The only thing I can think of is that the suspects, or the people with them, didn't realize Donnie was killed. These may not be the most new savvy people. They may not know the damage they did, end quote. Seven months after Donnie's murder, a memorial for him was unveiled in his hometown just outside the fence of the athletic fields where he used to play baseball and lacrosse in high school. The memorial includes a plaque that is inscribed with a quote by author Anthony Brandt, something that Donnie once wrote in a letter he sent home while he was away at college. The quote reads, Other things may change us, but we start and end with the family. That's not all, though. As the years passed, Three different scholarships were set up in Donnie's name, and in 2011, an investigative journalism class at Rowan University launched what they called the Donnie Farrell Project. According to the reporting of George Mast for the Courier Post, 10 students in Professor Amy Quinn's class dove into Donnie's murder and got first-hand information from the lead investigators on the case. The goal was to delve into Donnie's life and the police investigation and uncover the impact that his death had on everybody, his family, his friends, and the campus community. The students in the class also created a Facebook page about their work and promoted the project on the then social media site of Twitter, which is now X. Professor Quinn explained, quote, the major motivator in this effort was to tell a story of a student who had lived and died because a few years had elapsed. Most of the students either hadn't been at Rowan then or didn't remember it had happened. Also, it was an isolated incident, not a high crime area or during a larger crime wave, end quote. However, for some reason, there has never been a permanent memorial placed on campus for Donnie. So in 2015, members of the Rowan University lacrosse team decided to change that, or at least do what they could to keep Donnie's memory alive. They launched a GoFundMe campaign to raise money to purchase t-shirts for an annual lacrosse tournament they named Lax for Donnie. And they hit their goal and then some after they raised over $4,700. Now the site is no longer accepting donations, but all of the remainder of the money they raised went toward one of the scholarships in Donnie's name, which is where any funds raised at the annual tournament still go toward. On the GoFundMe site, it reads, quote, Our lacrosse team is a family, a family of which all players, past, present, and future, demand the same respect. To show our respect to Donnie and his family, we decided that we needed to give back, that we needed to create a place where Donnie will live on forever, end quote. And as far as I can tell, the Lax for Donnie tournament is still played each year in March. Ten years after his murder, a billboard company hoped to spark new leads in Donnie's case. So in June of 2017, Clear Channel Outdoor posted a total of 38 billboards in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware, showing the phone number to submit a tip. Langdon Seals said, quote, They're doing it free of charge. After 10 years, we're still trying to think of creative ways to solve this case, end quote. Donnie is remembered for his easygoing nature and lively personality. His mom, Kathy, hasn't said much, but she did tell Andy Polymus for NJ.com that she's shocked nobody has come forward after all these years. And devastatingly, she said, quote, Donnie was Donald Farrell III. All he ever wanted was to give us Donald Farrell IV, end quote. But while his family still grieves for him, they try not to dwell on the fact that his murder has still never been solved in all these years. His father, Don Farrell, said, quote, We can't dwell on it because if we did, 
it would finish us off. The anger will paralyze you. It will wear you out, end quote. So instead, they try to remember the 19 years they did get with their oldest son. According to the official website of Gloucester County, the $100,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction is still actively being offered. So if you have any information about the murder of Donald Donnie Farrell III, please call 856-384-5680. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 71. As always, be sure to check out my social media where I post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Chronicles on both Facebook and Instagram. That's also where you can find a direct link to my Patreon. Each month, I drop a bonus episode exclusive to my patrons and subscribers. This month, the episode is about a college student who was stopped for a simple bicycle infraction, but the stop ended with the student being hauled off in handcuffs. So be sure to check that out to hear the full story. Okay, well, that's all for today, so bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Jiari Gassaway. Tune in again in one week for the next Chronicle.